You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, it's me, Bart Campolo, here to welcome you back to Humanize Me, which is my podcast. But actually, I mean, we might as well cut to the chase, because it's not just my podcast. It's the podcast of everybody who takes the time to listen to it, and especially the people that take the time to share it with somebody else and to try to help us extend the audience and spread the word about this kind of conversation and this kind of perspective that we're uh, trying to pump out here. And it is especially the podcast of people who go on that Patreon thing online and support it. And uh, today, I was looking at the Patreon account, and there they were, a bunch of new people. You know, Michelle Coy Chantos, and Mark Allen, and Angela Russell, and my old friend Brian Broom. Who actually like? What's funny is like I know some of these people. Some of the, like, Brian Broom is a wonderful secular community builder out there on the West Coast, up in the Bay Area, and I've known Brian for a long time, and think he's a wonderful person. But it never occurred to me like that he would support this show, but of course it should have, because you know the kind of conversations we're having are helpful to people like us. And so he's just going like, look, you're putting out time. I'm going to put in some money. We're going to make this thing happen. And Keith Page, who is a Southern California humanist community builder, and he's one of those guys who he is a humanist chaplain, and he does funerals. And I knew Keith back when we were both youth guys in the evangelical movement you know, 20-some years ago. And lost track of him. And I show up at a funeral that was a very difficult funeral of a young person I knew. And there's Keith. And he performed the service in such a beautiful, genuinely, authentically humanist way. And I went up to him afterwards to, to thank him. And I didn't recognize him. And, 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 and all of a sudden we're talking, wait, wait, I know you. And ever since then, He's been listening, but also sending me messages, and we've been swapping ideas, and I just, I, all I can tell you is, Keith and, and Brian and Mark and Michelle and Angela, it means the world to me to have you guys on the team. And this really is now, all of a sudden, not just my podcast, it's our podcast. And, uh, and I, like... It's funny, sometimes when I'm talking into a microphone, I feel like I sound like a DJ. And, and I, every now and then I get a, a note from somebody that says, you sound like such a phony. Like you, you, the insincerity drips all off of your voice. I, you know, um, And I always think, gosh, I, I, like, I could not be more sincere uh, in this moment of just going, it means a ton to me. And I think it's going to make it a better podcast that we have some 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 resources to work with. I mean, I, I just hired a, a, a 10 hour a week assistant, a, a wonderful guy in Cincinnati who's going to, who's come in and he's helping me get the mailing list together and he's helping me figure out how to book more guests. And all of a sudden I, I don't feel like I'm alone in the room working on this thing. And it's all because of, of those of you that are supporting it. That's why I'm able to do it. And so, yeah. You're all amazing, and I'm grateful. Indeed, I am so grateful that I'm going to get on with it. 
And actually, I had a feature today that somebody in the audience suggested. They said, listen, you spend all your time talking about this stuff, thinking about this stuff, connecting with people around this stuff. You probably come across books and movies and music that really is humanizing, that really it would be helpful to somebody trying to figure out how to make the most of this life. And it would be great if you would recommend some of that stuff. That you, you know, because I mean, I, you know, when people write to me offline from the, you know, when listeners write in, sometimes they'll, they'll ask a question like, oh, you should check out this book or, oh, this is a movie that you'll love. And so one of the movies that I've been recommending a lot lately that I don't think a lot of people have seen or are going to see, but the people in our world, in our audience really ought to see is a, an independent movie that came out last year starring Harry Dean Stanton old Harry Dean Stanton. It was the last role he played before he died. And it's a movie called Lucky. And Lucky is the story of an old guy who knows he's going to die. He's a a small-town guy, small-town New Mexico guy out there in the desert. Um, And he's a hardcore atheist. And he's a curmudgeon. But there's a story behind him and about him and, and, and the movie just follows him for, for a number of days through his routine. And you get into the rhythm of his living and really the rhythm of his dying. And as you connect with the different relationships and you see him relating to people over time, some, it, it, some, some stuff emerges in their conversations, in the arguments, in the, in the friendships. It's, a, it's really a movie about friendship and about fear, and about death, and, uh, and about loneliness in, in, in the shadow of death. And it, it's easily one of the most humanizing movies I've seen. I mean, it was one of those things. I mean, if you could watch it with some friends, you would have some wonderful stuff to talk about in terms of meaning and love and friendship and, and regret and and... All sorts of stuff. It, 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 there's a lot there. It, and, and it's one of those movies that has like tons of great actors in it that did their parts for cheap because they believed in the project. And Harry Dean Stanton knew he was dying as he made it and he, and he, and he finished it out and it's, it's probably his greatest role. So there, there there's my recommendation. I tr- Track it down. The movie is called Lucky. And uh, I think if you see it, you will be lucky. All right, so enough of that. Um. You know, the other thing that somebody wrote in and said, somebody said, listen, you know, you talk a lot about forgiveness on the show. And, and it's forgiveness is a great thing. And there's this great secular argument, a great scientific argument, a great practical argument for being a forgiving person. But you know what? It's hard to forgive people when they apologize in such shitty ways. And there's a lot of shitty apologizing going on right now. In the, in the, in the era of this Me Too stuff, I, I, you see people, Louis C.K. apologizing, lots of people apologizing, and so often the apologies that they make are weak or backhanded or the old, uh, you know, if I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. You know, the, the, they're not really apologies at all. And this friend wrote in and said, listen, it would be really good to have a conversation about what constitutes a good apology? And uh, unfortunately, I am 
a great expert in apologies because I screw up so much. And I'm not kidding you there. Um, back in my Christian days, one of the Bible verses I, I remember most was it said, in the abundance of words comes the speech of a fool. And uh, that's good wisdom. That's the true fact. And if you talk as much as I do and you, 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 you sort of speak into people's lives as much as I do, you are bound to make mistakes. You are bound to meddle where you shouldn't or to offer counsel when nobody was looking for it or to just be stupid. And, um, and so I, over the years, have, have had to apologize a lot. And the truth of the matter is the weird thing is I've learned that sometimes if you apologize right, you end up closer to the person than if you hadn't screwed up in the first place. That sometimes a good apology is, is, is almost better than not messing up. And so I want to talk about apologies, and I want to tell you a few apology stories. And, and um, yeah, this isn't one of the—there's no guests coming. It's just me with a little bit of wisdom. And, and maybe, this is, maybe this is mainly aimed at the younger people because I, I, I work with a lot of students. And this is an area in which a lot of students have not gotten a lot of schooling. So listen. Without further ado, here are a few things I know about apologies. And the first one is really simple, that real apologies are private, at least at first. I am so tired of people releasing these beautifully worded statements, and it becomes very clear after they release the statement where where they've flowingly apologized for all the pain that they've caused, that they haven't actually talked to the people that they hurt first. That the apology is really about sort of casting a public face and, 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 and sort of controlling your image and getting out in front of the story. And the reason that real apologies are always private to begin with is that real apologies are always motivated by the same thing. They're motivated by the desire to make the person that you've hurt or that you've wronged feel better. And, you know, if you're thinking about apologizing, if, if you're in a situation where you feel like you auto-apologize, you better check yourself right at the beginning and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Because if you're doing it to relieve your own guilt, if you're doing it to kind of set the record straight, if you're doing it to avoid, to, because you think this might help you to avoid deeper consequences, you need to think again. Because... A true apology, an apology that actually will make a difference is always one that's motivated by your care for, your concern for the person you've wronged. Now, now there's no question that a lot of times when we apologize, it does relieve us of guilt. But that's not enough of a reason to do it. You know, it's funny, a few weeks ago I shared a story about a young Uh, when I was a young guy, a woman at my college who I had an encounter with that I think probably, I know was very hurtful to her at the time. And, uh, and over the years I've gained enough perspective that I really understand how and why what I did was wrong. And a a, a few years ago I said to my wife, you know, I should reach out to her. I should track her down and find her and let her know how sorry I am. And my wife said, you know what, man, you really shouldn't do that. Because the truth of the matter is, is that she's probably moved on from that um, I can see why it would make you feel better to apologize, but all you're going to do with her is you're just going to dredge it up. And, uh, 
and 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 I don't think it's it might be good for you, but I don't think it's going to be good for her. And I think like you need to you maybe just need to live without the forgiveness that you'd like to get from her, because the forgiveness might cost her more than than than, than it's worth to her. And uh, and I I didn't I ended up backing off on that one, and it took a while for me to realize that like just because you've wronged somebody like like. Just because you you want to feel the forgiveness doesn't necessarily give you the right to apologize. That you apologize if and when you think it would help the other person. Um, and when you apologize, I think the thing you have to recognize is is that you, what you need to apologize for is what you did. And that's really important. Because that whole idea of like, I apologize if this hurts you, or I apologize that this hurts you, or I didn't mean to hurt you. Ultimately, an apology doesn't feel good when you say it that way because what you end up doing is it ends up almost being a judgment, like you're a little sensitive, aren't you? It ends up being about like the the other person's feeling, and really a true apology isn't about the other person's feeling. It's about you saying, I know what I did was wrong. It's about expressing remorse, not regret. See, so many times, re- regret is this, hey, I'm sorry that happened. It really wasn't anybody's fault. Like, I, I'm really, but I want you to know, I'm really sorry if that hurt you. I'm really sorry that that happened. I'm really sorry, I, you know. And, and, and so a lot of times when people are, quote unquote, apologizing, they're trying to excuse, excuse their behavior. They're trying to explain their behavior. And uh, or they're trying to lay it on the other person. Oh, I'm sorry it, it touched you that way. And a, a true apology is always about expressing remorse, which is I am sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what I did or for what I said. And uh, the only the only time you really need to explain your behavior or, or you know or explain you know kind of tell the story is if you think that somehow that will make the other person feel better if that will if by clarifying the situation by saying listen i thought it was this way when it was really that way that that somehow it will oh well i, I see that you weren't trying to hurt me that does actually help but it's all about taking responsibility for your own behavior and so a good apology usually has something to do with like it was my fault what I did was wrong, and it was my fault, and I'm sorry, and I wouldn't do it again. If I had to do over again, I would do it differently, and I won't do it again. That in a real apology, what you're saying is, is I want to, I, you, so, so sometimes you're trying to make amends if you can. If there's something you can fix, part of a real apology is to say, like, I'm sorry, and this is what I'm going to do about it. This is how I'm going to try to make it different or make it better. And sometimes you can't make it better. And so you simply have to say, I'm sorry. And I, I won't do that again. And I wish I hadn't done it the first time. You know, it, it, it's funny because I remember, uh, I remember a number of years ago, I, I, was, I was in a, a kind of a friendship circle with, two older guys. They both had kids. I didn't. I didn't know anything about raising kids. And one of the guy's kids, they were really, they were, they were all under control and they were super well behaved and everything seemed orderly in that household. And the other guy's household was total chaos. And his kids were, you know, climbing on the ceilings. And, you know, as people sometimes do, like one time the, the orderly guy and I were talking and we we're like, wow, he's really, he's, those kids are out of control and stuff like that. I wonder if we should talk to him. 
Now, I didn't know at the time that one of the most dangerous things to talk, like one of the things, the, the, the last thing you really want to ever criticize in another person is their children or the way they're parenting their children. Because you don't know what the hell is going on in that household most of the time. And it's a lot harder than you think, especially if you don't have any kids of your own. I don't know what the hell I thought I was saying. But we ended up sitting down with the guy and at one point sort of saying like, hey, we're thinking that maybe it would help if you, um, you know, tried to create a little more order in the house, cleaned up a little bit more. And oh my gosh, I have, I have never been in a conversation where two minutes into it, I knew I had, I knew we should have never gone there. And we really hurt our friend's feelings. And he was pissed and he, and you know, to his credit, he let us know it. He was like, you know, I'm offended that you guys would talk about this. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I don't think I want to be friends with you anymore. And he walked out. And, uh, you know, like I could blame it on the other older guy because it was his idea. But boy, that's not the strategy on this one. And I, you know, I sort of like, I went to the guy a couple weeks later, my friend Brent. And I said, man... I had no business saying that. I was completely out of line. I overstepped. And he said, you know, he said, I appreciate you saying that, but the truth is, like, you can't take it back. I know you judge my parenting. I know you, I know, like, I know you think my kids are not good enough. And he said, I, I don't, it's going to take me a while to get over that. And, 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 and to trust you again. I, I mean, I know you know you were wrong, but like you can't fix it just by saying that. And, and, and there are times in an apology where you put forth the apology and it doesn't end up in forgiveness. In that case, he did not forgive me um, for years, I think. And I remember when he finally did forgive me because he let me know and he said, listen, I brought it up again and he said, listen, I'm over that now. Um, you've earned your way back. Um, you've shown, rem- you, you, you've shown that you, a changed attitude, but boy, you know, so sometimes you can fix it. Sometimes you can't, but, but it's still worth it apologizing. And, and I think that if there's anything I've learned in that process, it's that because you're so prone to like almost try to explain yourself or defend yourself, it's really smart to think through your apology, to actually practice, to write it out, to write down what you're going to say, word for word, if you have to. And, and in a lot of cases, I write it down and then I edit it and I try to get it down to the cleanest version. And one, you say, well, how do you know if it's clean? I say, well, I, I take it to my wife. I take it to a buddy and I say, this is what I'm thinking of saying. How does this sound? And a lot of times when I run my apology by somebody else, they say, listen, that's not good. Like you said that wrong, or that could be misunderstood, or this sounds like you're still holding on to something. And um, a good apology is always one that's been worked over. And you said, but it should come naturally. I mean, you don't want the person to think that you that you labored over this because then it would seem like it's not from your heart. And I go, like, you know what? From my heart, I want to get this right. And so. My strongest advice to people is, yeah, take the time to write it down and then test it out on somebody. And if you don't, and even after you've got it, if you don't think you'll you'll say it right, 
bring your freaking notes with you. I've many times sat down and said, listen, I hope you don't mind. I've got a few notes here because it's really important for me to get this right because I feel so bad and I don't want to, I, I want to be sure to express it in the best possible way. And, and, and in a sense, those notes let the person know how serious you are. They let the person know how much, how much energy you're putting into this thing. Um, um, by the way, that, that's another thing. It's like, and this is in no particular order, but like before you go to apologize for somebody, you need to ask their permission. You, in a weird way, you don't get to just show up and go like, hey, I feel bad and I want to apologize. You, you show up and you go, listen, I feel bad. You know, you say, I, I feel bad and I apologize. And so I'm sorry for that. Like, whether ready or not, here it comes. But rather you show up and say, hey, I am, I'm feeling terrible about what happened between us or what I said or what I did. And I'd like to apologize if, if, you, if, you, if you want to hear it or if you're ready to hear that or if you'll let me. Um, if you let me, I'd like to apologize. So you kind of have to ask permission to, to do it. Um, and, and I think that the other thing is, is that you have to recognize that apologizing and asking for forgiveness are two different things. And sometimes it's appropriate to apologize, but it's not fair to in that same moment say, do you forgive me? Um, I think sometimes it's much more appropriate to say, I'm really sorry for what I did and, and I understand it and, I'm, and, and I can imagine how much this must have hurt you and I want to explain, like I understand why it was wrong. You have to make it clear that you understand how hurtful or how painful or how wrong what you did was. You, you can't just say, hey, I'm sorry. Yeah, you, sometimes you have to go into detail so that the person understands, like I know why it was wrong and I can imagine how much it would hurt you. This must have been very painful for you. This must have been very confusing for you. Um, this must have been very hurtful. But then... After you're done saying you're sorry and making it clear that you understand the magnitude of your wrongdoing, I, I think the appropriate thing to say is, I'm, I'm not asking for your forgiveness right now. I think it might, I, I know it might take you some time. Um, I hope that at some point you'll be able to forgive me. Now, sometimes I've said that to somebody and said, listen, man, you're overblowing this thing, man. I, for, I, I, it's, it's, it's all, I forgive you already. You're already forgiven. And that's lovely, but that's their choice, not yours. It's not fair of you to go like, but do you forgive me? Um, you say, I hope at some point you'll be able to forgive me, and you leave it at that. Um, because sometimes it takes a person some time to get to the place where they can, uh, they can get around to the forgiveness part. Um, you know, I, 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 I was remembering one, one of the most important apologies in my life was, uh, was one that I made to my son and, uh, my son was about 10 or 11 years old. And the thing, anyone who knows my son knows that he's like one of my favorite human beings in the world right now, but that he was not always. From, from the age of three till he was about 15, I did not know what to do with this kid. And no one more persistently made me feel like a failure than my son because I just, I just couldn't get it right. 
he was a really anxious kid, a really, a really verbose kid. I mean, he's just a hard kid for me to raise. And, uh, and boy, I was hard on him. And when he was about 11, I had an experience where he reminded me of my dad. He always reminded me of my dad. And, and in many ways, my son was hard on me in the ways that my dad had been hard on me growing up. The difference was my dad was bigger than me and stronger than me and more forceful and powerful than me. And so I had to take it from my dad for 30, 40 years. And there, all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm with my son. And he's like a mini version of my dad, but he's little. And I'm in charge. And basically, I realized that I was taking it out on him. All this frustration I had had from being raised by an anxious, kind of verbose, uh, kind of, uh, you know, single-minded guy like my dad. My son was the same way. And, and what I realized was is that he had only given me 10 years worth of grief, but I was giving him 40 years worth of pain. And when I realized it, I remember taking him out for breakfast and sitting him down and saying, listen, I owe you a big apology. And, explain, and saying to him, listen, man, you remind me a lot of Pop-Pop, and that's a good thing in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, Pop-Pop was, his, it's hard to be his son. And I think, I think I've been taking out on you a lot of frustration that you have nothing to do with. And I'm really sorry about that. And he'll tell me now that that was an important moment for him because he didn't know where it was coming from. And, 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 and he was taking all that on. He was like, I must be a real problem for my dad. And it was just helpful for him to realize, like, I'm a human being and I get stuff wrong. I, I guess maybe what I'm saying is, is that, you know, a lot of people want parenting advice. And maybe some of my, some, maybe this is like ultimately a parenting lesson. And that is that a lot of parents think that you will appear weak if you apologize to your kids. If you say, hey, the way I talked to you was wrong or I overreacted in that situation, that you will lose your moral authority if you admit that you don't have it all right. And what I would say is, is that my experience with parents and kids is that kids always tell me that their parents gain moral authority when they're willing to admit when they're wrong. Because we all screw up. And we especially screw up with the people we love the most. So, you know, again, like that apology... Oh my gosh, the dividends that that bore over the next few years. And it was still tough with my kid, but there was a sense in which then he was actually even able to a couple of times to go like, hey, is this really about me? And I'm like, whoa, you know what? Maybe it isn't. And it, it, it sort of armed him to deal with me. A good apology sometimes arms the other person. It tells the other person something about you and your weakness um, that helps them in their relationship with you. And so... You know, this is enough, enough, enough of me talking about apology, right? Like, I mean, most of you, maybe you've tuned out by now because you're like, ah, I know all this stuff. But uh, maybe instead of listening to me prattle on anymore, one of the best things that you could do is go find somebody you really love and ask them what apologies have meant the most to them. And what apologies have been the hardest for them to, to, to ask for? You know, I think it's just one of those things that people don't talk about a lot in abstraction. They always talk, they talk about it when it's happening. That apology didn't feel good to me. But they don't talk about, like, what kind of apologies do feel good? What have been the best apologies you've ever received? Um, 
I will tell you this. It's, it's funny. I, I had a back in my in my Christian days. I was running this organization, and this woman, uh, her husband died, and she had a little bit of extra money, uh, an insurance settlement, and she sent five thousand dollars. That she, could, you know, she was not a wealthy woman to to this organization I was running that that helped send young people to work among the poor. And her gift got received, but I somehow lost the note, and I never wrote or called to thank her. I didn't even know about it until a month or two later when I got the angriest, most bitter letter from her saying how much I had hurt her and how much she thought I was a jerk and, and, and how I was a phony, and she just reamed into me. And I remember calling her on the phone. It was one of these things where I had written it out. And, uh, and just before I called her, one of the guys I worked with said, Bart, it will cost you no more to go big with this apology. Don't hold back. And I did. I called, and, and I was like, I have done one of the worst things a person could do. I am such a jerk. I feel like such an idiot right now. I don't know how you're ever, I don't, I'm surprised you're even willing to talk to me. I just, I went big with it. And the bigger I went, the better it was for her because this was a big deal in her life. What was interesting was, is that she wrote to me the next week and told me what a big deal that apology was. And she said, it would really help me if you would call me again sometime. And I did. I called her again. I ended, this, this woman's name was Bonnie Davis, and she ended up being a great friend of my wife and I. I went and, we went and visited her in North Carolina at her house. We corresponded all the way up until her death. I, I remember I had, all, I had gone through my deconversion, and her, her Baptist minister called me to tell me she had died and said, Bonnie asked that you be notified. You were so special to her. We ended up having this close friendship, and she was a, a faithful supporter of all the work I did on both sides of the faith. And uh, our friendship started with that apology. And I would, I would submit that a lot of great friendships start or actually start to be real when one or the other person comes with a, comes with a sincere apology. So there, I'm done. That's enough. I hope it's helpful. Um, all right, you know, I, I said I'd give you an Ingersoll quote. I always say I'm going to give an Ingersoll quote. I got one. It's just a little quote. Um, but, you know, I recommended a, a movie earlier. And in that movie is a ton of instrumental music. And, uh, and I've been listening to a lot of instrumental music lately, which is kind of foreign to a guy like me who's all into words. Um, I always think that the most important thing about the words are the lyrics. But I'm learning from my son and from other musicians in my life that sometimes uh, the music alone is the thing. And so I've been listening to a lot of classical music lately. And, uh, and I came across this Ingersoll quote. And from another guy, from a guy who wrote like, you know, more words than anyone or spoke more words than anyone in history, I think. Here's what he says about music. He says, music expresses feeling and thought without language. It was below and before speech. And it is above and beyond all words. Yeah. After all these words... Why don't you go find a piece of instrumental music and see what it says to you? It's been great talking with you. I got another good conversation coming up with another human being next time. But for now, 
This is, uh, this is just me letting you know that I'm grateful that we're in this together. For more information about the work of Bar Campolo, please visit barcampolo.org.